it's just like you're, you're all in, you're, you're sitting up late, or you're waking up early, and you just got to be alive, you got to get on it, right? How many people in here have been talking about your whole living here? Anybody got the whole group? Yes, it's a little cat up on the little maple leaf on the palm. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of hoping I didn't see some more in Canada hockey jerseys. Know, in, in the lobby on Sunday. It's a little representative of those packets, love, or throw them again. So hopefully, this week to come, maybe we'll see some of that. Now, I wonder how many of you, you're maybe a little bit more into the festivities of the Olympics, more than the actual game. Anybody? People walking online, are you more into like maybe the opening ceremonies? Is that more your camp? Any, any opinions on the lighting of the Olympic Cauldron from this year? Any thoughts? A little, a little bit. Relay. 
So you can imagine how, like, if you knew the entire journey, all of the significance and depth that that would have to the experience. And I, I, want, I want us to keep that image in mind this morning as we dive into Luke's gospel together. Now, you may recall from last week that Allison told us that Luke, the author of this biography of the life of Jesus, was eager to get the message out to a Greek audience. He himself would not do it. So he wants the world to know that Jesus came to extend God's love to the entire world. Luke wants Gentiles, that is, you know, people who are not Jewish, to know that they are welcome into God's story. But as we'll see today, Luke also wants to reveal that Jesus is bridging the story of Israel with the Gentile world. And yet you have to imagine that Luke's audience would have been a mix. There would have been some people who would have read his letter who would have been Jewish, with Jewish ancestry, very familiar with the Jewish tradition. And then there would have been some Greeks and Romans and Gentiles who had kind of like been drafted into the Jewish ways and had picked up on some of the Jewish customs. But then there also would have been many people who were totally unfamiliar with the story of Israel as they encountered this new story. And Luke, Luke is trying to pass the course along. And he knows his audience is entering in from all different kinds of angles. So as we read this passage this morning, I want you to pay attention to the connections that Luke is making, the story of Israel, and maybe you're familiar with it, or maybe you're not, and that's okay too. I want you to look for the ways he's ripping off the Jewish story, but also the ways that he's extending that story to a Gentile world. And through it all, let's also listen as the scriptures are read to the way that the story is speaking to us and the opportunity that we have to carry the torch into our own world. So I've asked a few friends, Donald and Elizabeth, to come help with the reading this morning. And then just a note, as we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, we are intentionally highlighting the parts of the story that are unique from the other Gospels. So we're, we're jumping ahead at times. So that means today, we're actually going to jump past the birth story of Jesus, and we're picking things up in the early days of Jesus' life. So friends, a reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice to be in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of yellow for two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, 
and right now it just lets us their head in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus lay behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus asked, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I have to retain my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Thank you, friends. Thank you. That was lovely. But you hear the Jewish echo. Five times at least we're told that Mary and Joseph were acting according to the law of Moses. We're told of the circumcision of Jesus and his consecration and these two journeys. They're bringing us to the temple in Jerusalem. Simeon acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one that the people of Israel were waiting for. Adam, this prophet, who connected the coming of Jesus with the redemption of Jerusalem. And then there's a second trip for Passover, right? A celebration, a reminder of the Israelite story of their rescue from Egypt. 
And then we have to get this final scene where Jesus is at the temple, sitting with the rabbis. And each of these are very clear links that Luke is making between the arrival of Jesus and the Israelite story. But there are also some subtle whispers that might not be quite so obvious to all of us. Someone in the Jewish story named Samuel was a significant character, and, and Samuel's story actually echoes Jesus' story in some interesting ways. Samuel was actually was also given by God to his mother Hannah, and he too was taken to the temple. At that time, it was called the tabernacle to learn from the priests. And First Samuel chapter two verse twenty-six says this: "And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord." And the people. Sounds familiar to what we just read. And you also might notice, you can pick up, there's some interesting numerical details were given with Anna. Do you remember this? She's married for seven years, lived 84 years. It's odd, because Luke doesn't tell us previous age or talk about this sort of family relationship. Now, if you're deeply familiar with the story of the Hebrew Bible, there's a number seven. Going to kind of like do anything significant for you. Of course, the seven days of creation. Now, what about 84? What's the deal with 84? What's 84 and 7? Like, how are they connected? Anybody able to do some kind of quick mental math? Your connection that we can make between 8 and 7? Just like 84 and 7? 84 and 7 times 12. The number of tribes of Israel. I'm not suggesting that I got to hold that to prove it, but I just think we can notice Luke is doing something in many ways very obvious, and in other ways, he's dropping little breadcrumbs for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and notice that there's something continuing forward from their story, something very familiar with the story of Israel. And as he, well, as he introduces Jesus, he wants his audience to understand the journey of the torch. So, like, is it essential to pick up on all these echoes of the Jewish origin? I, I don't think so. But I also believe that when we become aware and increasingly aware of the rich heritage that Jesus comes from, it adds depth and meaning to who Jesus was and the story that he was carrying forward. This is no average claim. This course has a rich history worth paying attention to. What's incredible is the way that Timmy and Anna serve as these really emblematic torch bearers. They are elder leaders of the faith. And they are validating the Jewish origins of the story, but they are also embracing the new thing that Jesus is going to represent. And Timmy clearly captures this in his word. He acknowledges that Jesus is the promise that the people of Israel are waiting for. But he also acknowledges that this child is going to cause division, and many in Israel will reject him. Simeon perceives this work as a fulfillment of a promise, but he also understands that Jesus is going to change everything. And not everyone is willing to accept the torch as to cast their way. I wonder as we read this in Proverbs, what does this mean for us? What is the significance of this Jewish story that has been passed along from generation to generation and now finds its way to you and to me? Well, at least you. We actually talk about this. We try to embody a backward posture. 
As a church community, we strive to locate ourselves in God's story. We believe God has been actively at work in our world as witnessed in the scriptures and through the church. We plan on the shoulders of those who come before us and rest on the very depth of our heritage to influence our practices and worldview. We see, we together embrace the truth that while we face questions, what it means to follow Jesus in 2022, many have come before us and have paved the way for our faith community. We have a story of faith that we can trace back to the story of Israel, and we have a story of faith that has a rich history in Saskatoon. Do we continue to honor our faith heritage? Do we celebrate our story? Do we know our story? And you do know that last year, as we celebrated our 100th anniversary, we created a series of videos that retell the story of Lakeview Church in Saskatoon. And you can go online, and you can watch those videos, and you can learn our collective story. But also, there are many people here in the room who were part of the story as it unfolded. They were significant characters in all kinds of pieces of our church journey. Are we listening their story? Are we eager to learn the ups and downs and unexpected twists of our faith community? And can I say this with the utmost respect? Do we honor our elders? Do we honor the torchbearers who have carried forward the story of faith and helped bring us to this moment? And to the elders, with respect, are you embracing the new thing that God is doing? Do you recognize that Jesus desires to carry the story forward, and that means allowing new life, new expressions, new traditions to take the next leg of the journey? When I grow up, I want to be like him. I want to have eyes to see the way that God is fulfilling God's promises. And I also want to embrace the way that God is doing something new, even if it means significant changes. And that's exactly what Sidney was declaring. Amidst this Jewish ceremony that's happening at the temple, the very heart of Judaism, Sidney declared that salvation was for all nations, all people. And he declared that Jesus came to be a light revealing the truth of who God is to Jew and Gentile alike. And Luke's gospel, as we continue reading over the next few months, is going to be a story of this good news emanating out through the Jewish people and beyond the Jewish people to include people of all nations and backgrounds. And it's hard, I think, to comprehend how earth-shaking that would have been to the Jewish people to feel their religious identity opened up to others around them. To see Gentiles not only welcomed in, but to see them also carrying the torch forward to entirely new people and entirely new places. And if I'm honest, for where we are today, I just, I just find it hard to just even imagine just that kind of like explosion of our faith community going out beyond us Around us. I don't know about you, but I feel this is the increasing sense that what we are doing here together right now, this morning, 
gathering as a faith community in the name of Jesus. This is becoming increasingly odd and unusual in our Canadian culture. According to a Statistics Canada survey from 2019, so pre-pandemic, one-third of all the Canadians who identified as Christians participated in a worship gathering once a month or more. So one-third of people say, I'm a Christian, were actually present in a, in, a, in, a, in a worship service on a monthly basis or more. And then another third of people who identified as Christians said that they participated in worship gatherings never and, 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 and had zero personal practices of Christian faith. This, this is the reality pre-pandemic. I think we all know what kind of impact COVID has had on the life of the church. So when I think about the way that the story of faith extended throughout all cultures and peoples in the first century, I'm amazed and I wonder, how did that happen in our time? What does it look like to pass the torch along to our neighbors, to our community, to the people who are around us? How do we imagine passing along the story and inviting others to embrace God's story as their own story? And so with that, I'd like to actually pause for a quick moment. I'd just like to talk a little bit about human stories. So for those who know me well, I love listening to podcasts. And I was listening to one of my favorites this past week called Through Line. And the host are having a conversation with a man named Jameen Kansari. The author of the book, The Invention of Yesterday. And Andre has dedicated himself to the, the study of human stories. It's like a, like a meta idea. And the way that narratives shape the patterns of culture. And he says that there are, are three universal factors that are driving the human story environment, language, and tools. So, environment, first off, as humans, we are always in a space, in a location. We are always interacting with the space around us. And we're always interfacing with the particular humans that are around us. Which brings us to language, the way we communicate with others around us. The, the means of interaction, the patterns of connection that we have with other humans. And then tools. Tools are, are more than the things we own. They are extensions of ourselves. They are how we interact with our environment. And as our toolkit changes, we change. There's a constant flux and interaction between our environment, our language, and our tools. They are interconnected, and they form our version of the story we are living in. What we care about, who we align ourselves with, the ways we organize our communities, the patterns of our lives are all shaped by these three factors. And it's not hard to imagine how these factors were at play when Jesus came on the scene, right? What is his environment? Well, he's in a Judean region under the Roman Empire. And there were certain social structures with their own unique hierarchies of power and privilege that were present at that time. And what was the language? Well, in the Roman world, Greek was the dominant language, but also the Jews spoke Aramaic, which is sort of right that, you know, a closely connected to the language of Hebrew. But there was also a, a certain range 
communication that was, that was a reality for them. And there were certain religious and political patterns of communication. You know, ways that messages would go out, and places where people would also come and gather to participate in a conversation. And then you get into pools, like there's lots of things like written scrolls and, and temples and gathering places. There's, there's centralized spaces for teaching and for hearing of ideas, and of course, like an agrarian culture for farming and fishing, and you know, Jesus was like a stonemason. So that was the world Jesus stepped into. And through Jesus and his followers, God's story starts spread into that world. What are the factors of our time? As we are now being offered the torch and offered to carry it forward, how are these factors at play for us? How, how do we perceive our location? How do we relate to people around us? What social structures exist in our time that we must navigate? What about the language of our time? How do we communicate? How do we convey what we care about? What is the message that we're sharing with each other? What words carry importance and significance? And what are the tools of our time? What items of our lives are our extension of ourselves? What do we depend on as we interact with our environment? How are we being shaped by our current because we consider our opportunity to pass the torch along to others around us, we have to pay attention to reality. And no matter how complex things feel in our day, I'm convinced that our world longs for meaning and hope. And I believe our world longs to know the love of God and to experience restored relationship with God and restored relationship to other people. When I talked about interviews, the, 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 the author actually describes describe what he perceives to be this like human longing that has existed throughout like all humanity's existence. Our world is aching from division and hostility and an imbalance of power, and we all long for a unified, restored experience. And so in the conversation, he says, what we want to try to do is build a new narrative structure, tell a new story that all of us can legitimately see ourselves as characters in. The interviewer asked, what story could possibly unite the entire world? The old idea was that all the aliens will come and will all unite as humans against the aliens. Well, the aliens did come. The form of a microscopic little thing that doesn't look like a human. It has spikes. It's called COVID. It didn't unite us. It should have united us. I thought it was going to. It didn't do it. What story could possibly unite the entire world? I love that question. And I don't want to stand here and sound utopian or altruistic. But I can personally declare that I have found hope and meaning and healing in the story of Jesus. I believe that he came to show the entire world who God truly is and to show the world God's love. 
this story has been passed along to each of us, and this story is what anchors our church. That means that you and me, we are now torchbearers in this great story. That means we need to learn how to navigate our environment and how to speak the language of our culture and make use of the tools in our world to help carry the story toward the world around us. Because I do believe there is a story that can unite the entire world. And friends, I believe it is good news that we we must find ways to share. One final observation I want to make from this story of Jesus' early years. I just absolutely love the way that Luke intentionally highlights that Jesus grew. Right? Because this passage is a Jewish story, it's a Gentile story, and it's a world story. Jesus grew up. He got older. He sat with the rabbis. He listened. He asked questions. He learned the story. The passage tells us that Jesus was submissive to his parents. He was obedient. He embraced the heritage of his family. Jesus learned. He developed. He grew. What a beautiful reminder for all of us. Our Creator, the Almighty God of the universe, entered into our human reality and he humbly listened to the wise teachers of his time. He was curious. He asked questions. And as we will see throughout the rest of his lifetime, he understood his environment. He spoke the language of his time and he communicated with the experience of the people around him. He made use of the tools of his time and he transformed them to point the kingdom that he was ushering in. Because Jesus was willing to grow. Let's follow in his footsteps. So who are you listening to? Who is shaping your understanding of the story you are living in? What questions are you wrestling with? And who are you working out those questions with? Perhaps this week, if you work well, consider you know, what path of growth you are on. And have you found practices that are carrying you forward and strengthening your faith? It's so amazing. Keep going. Let's continue to make this a place where we learn and we grow together. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in strong. And as we sing these songs, these are reminders. Reminders of the story. Reminders of the tune that's carrying it forward. It's a story that we've all been invited into. The torch was lit a long time ago. And it has traveled a long way to get to us. And we get to be the ones who pass on the torch to the world around us. And I don't know what it's going to look like. In fact, friends, I, I feel very unsure how this is going to happen, but I believe it can happen. And I know one thing for sure. For me and my family, this is a place where we want to work with them together. You are the people that I want to work with them with together. We have been invited into the story together. 
we can have brought our stories to form one story as a church, and now let's do this as a community together. Let's find our way to take that forth and carry it to new places in our world so that others too can find the hope and the love that we have experienced and the love and hope that anchors our community. So with that in mind, let's plan and let's take a response.